Welcome to Voices of the Land, where we tell a rolling story of land conservation from all angles and perspectives. Here, we explore why the Westerly Land Trust's mission to conserve open space, revitalize culturally significant properties, and provide environmental programs is beneficial to the community and to the environment. Join us on this tremendous journey of wonderment and empathy towards the natural wonders of our world. Welcome, as always, to Voices of the Land. We appreciate you tuning in each month to learn all about land conservation and the voices behind it. I'm Joe, And I'm Erica. We are your co-hosts for this show. And as a reminder, if you would like to learn more about us and the staff at the Westerly Land Trust, you can replay our first episode all about WLT. Our headquarters are on the Barlow Nature Preserve, and we are very happy to work with three sustainable agricultural businesses in our own backyard, so to speak. We're speaking to the third and final business owner on the Barlow Nature Preserve today. In previous episodes, we have learned about organic and local vegetable farming practices with Frontier Farm owner Cassidy Whipple in Episode 2, Cut Flower Gardening and its Local Impact and Importance with Echo Rock Flowers owner Stephanie Bennett, and now about vermicomposting with Vita Nova compost owner James Crusoe. Thanks for being here, James. Welcome to our podcast. Thanks. Yeah, do you want to start just a little bit about yourself, how you got into the composting business and your background? Sure. Yeah, I've, uh, I've always kind of been interested in, in nature, you know, appreciating nature, just being outside. I was more of an outdoorsy kid than, you know, than inside of the computers and stuff. So it's always kind of been an interest of mine and composting just kind of presented itself to me uh, and, and I kind of ran with it. What is your degree in? Uh, I have an engineering degree in uh, civil engineering, so it's okay. not related. It was something I found uh, four years after after college. Yeah. Awesome. Just after kind of living and, and uh, yeah. Definitely. Um, yeah. And I mean, obviously, it's something I feel like you could probably still apply some of your civil engineering to everything that you've built here at, at the Barlow Nature Preserve. You've, you built the greenhouse, right? Is yeah. that is that yeah, what you call it? Helps, um, it's more red. The, the, we, yeah, we call it a hoop house. Uh, <laughs> either way, it's a it helps for sure. Uh, we built that, and we're we're starting now to planning the the second one. Oh wow! Um, but yeah, it's it's all just kind of hard work. It's not that much engineering, really. It's more uh, just kind of consciousness and hard work. And what inspired you? You said you wanted to do something more green. What inspired you to get into something more green? I never wanted to kind of do a, a, a normal office job, you know, it's just something about being outside of it. That's even what drew me to engineering was to the prospect of working outside, you know, on projects and, and building something. And I was just drawn to that. So composting and farming, you know, kind of when you grow up, you, you kind of learn more about what you're eating, um, you know, where it comes from, how it, how it gets all the way to you. and. And uh, composting is just kind of an an, an integral part of growing your own food and and, uh, kind of just, you know, upping your awareness. So why would you say it's so important to compost? I would say composting is kind of a a symbol or, or, you know, a conceptual change when you decide to compost, you're making a a whole choice. You know, it's it's an act you're going to take three or more times a day, you know, anytime you get involved with fruit or food, a lot of times you're going to compost something right along with that. So 
the facts are very scientific as far as 10 to 20 percent of the carbon footprint and the uh, the non-sustainable aspect of that is it's only maybe tops 20 percent of the major pollution huge companies and manufacturing pollution and stuff like that but the choice and the, the habitual nature of composting is overall super important i think for people to be more connected to kind of speaks to more than just saving the food waste from the, the landfill it really speaks to kind of having a more full idea of your impact day to day yeah, it's really astonishing the more that I learn about the food systems and more topics like food justice and equity and the sustainable aspect of of composting, dealing with the food waste. Yeah, so I really like that point that it's a choice. I know in Connecticut there's some legislation being looked at to like mandate restaurants to compost and upgrade existing composting facilities. Is that something that you deal with at all? Not yet. <laughs> I don't think I'm, I'm at the political level yet, but uh, I, I was aware, I went to a meeting, I think uh, maybe a year and a half ago, I guess a little longer now, in Rhode Island where they, uh, they were looking at that. Basically, there's like thresholds, you know, if, if you produce a certain num- a, amount of or a volume or a weight of food waste, if you're over that threshold, the government they have to be like, hey, that's that's just way too much, you know. And so you have to find a composter to compost it. Or, but but then there are, are it's not really a loophole. It's just like a, the point also is that there has to be a composter available within a certain number of miles. So it's kind of it's going to go ignored uh, until there are more composters available. I'm definitely not involved in it, in it but I'm aware of that, and um, you know. It's, they need to lower these thresholds, and, and I know they are probably slowly, little by little, because that's to the point where soon a cafe or, a, you know, a little juicery will kind of be required. You know, right now it's like your supermarket or your, you know, these huge facilities might be required to if they're throwing that much out. But, you know, there's so many more smaller businesses that still produced over a thousand pounds a month if not more hopefully we can get to the point soon where it doesn't have to be a choice where you go out of your way it's more like a it's make it easier on people to compost and make it easier on the businesses to compost yeah definitely that's that's why you know probably became not practice as much because the ease of it you know the habit of it uh, and then the ease and access to it that's why we're, we're trying to make it super easy we give the bucket you fill it up and, and we take it away and then you get kind of you know depending on how much you go through how much waste it takes you create probably what you would get what you could make at home you know 40 pounds or so it's a pretty reasonable amount to make at home you know for one family per year so it's kind of an even exchange um but but they don't have to you know have the compost pile go out there and turn it attract the pest deter the pests and all that stuff so Ease is, is hugely important, and especially in cities. You know, people, they, I love the city. I, I've, I've spent a lot of time in cities, and they're so much fun, but you can't have a compost pile at home in a city. It's just not going to happen. So maybe incentivizing small businesses or, you know, just the awareness. I think if you teach people and they, they kind of understand it on a basic level, then the alternative seems more unnatural. 
ever going, no, you, you know, you're probably teaching your children, you know, good habits like that for sure. So, it, you know, that's right. probably what it takes is, is having them understand it where throwing it out seems more odd than, than getting it somewhere where, where it should go. Yeah, we actually started composting at home because we do have the space. And, and when we made that change, we saw a drastic difference in the, like, for example, so we live in Stonington. We have the yellow bags, just like Westerly has the orange bags. So just yeah. the amount that we were saving on bags, <laughs> basically, um, you know, was a noticeable difference. Like we weren't taking out as much trash at all. So like that was a huge thing for us. But James, maybe you can like break this down a little bit more and explain for people who don't understand what what happens to like organic food waste when you just throw it in the trash and take it to a um, dump or a landfill? Yeah, that's kind of important to clarify because a lot of people think composting means it's, it's going to degrade, it's going to break down. And technically that's what happens in the landfill as well. It degrades and it breaks down. But in the landfill, it kind of more or less rots and breaks down. And in the compost pile, it decomposes in like a natural way. So the difference is to create a cohesive breakdown, you know, with using nature, it kind of needs to be the right recipe. It happens naturally out in the woods, but it doesn't really happen when you just pile up food. You need to mix it with the other ingredient, which is the brown leaf, you know, or a, a, a mulch or a wood chip or paper. You need to give it the right amount of air and you need to give it the right amount of water. None of that happens in the landfill. And so you get a, a rotting, which I'm not going to act like I can describe the science behind it, but it releases CO2 into the air. And the more that you release, it's tied to global warming. I mean, either way, it's, it's, it's a form of pollution um, that can be avoided in a really natural way that's super old practice that uh yeah we're trying to, to bring back yeah i think another attractant is that a word i don't think so no, but let's um, go with it <laughs> <laughs> to composting is that it doesn't smell as much right when in a landfill it smells because it's breaking down unnaturally and releasing more gases than it should but composting is healthier or at like a yeah more nat- natural more balanced healthier way of decomposing yeah, there's a smell attached to it in the pro during the process, but um, it's it's a little it's more earthy. I mean, it doesn't smell like rotting food. It smells it's a unique smell that you wouldn't recognize. It's more earthy, and then the finished product is is more or less uh, no smell. So tell us about your worms, because you're a vermicomposter, so you use worms to do yeah. your your composting. Tell us about that. Yeah. So the worms are a great tool. You know, it's like I have an army of uh, a million employees. And And they all have benefits. (laughs) They do. They get free food. If you give worms, the ones we use are the red wigglers and and cinea fetida, maybe is how they pronounce it. If you give them a, a good environment to live and thrive in, they are really amazing at eating organic waste. Composting is a really difficult thing to do if you don't have machines and if you don't have an extreme amount of space where you can make a hundred foot long pile that's 20 feet high 
vermicomposting is kind of a really accessible way of reusing this waste. Um, it's something that people can do in their backyard with a, a two by or a three by one foot by one foot box. You can house some worms and they could eat, you know, upwards of 15 pounds a week wow. of food, maybe more if they have a, a really good environment. So it's the worms are great. I can I can process maybe 700 to 1,000 pounds a week in that hoop house wow. alone wow. Um, and, and more or less get it ready for uh, the garden within seven months. Wow. So it's an accessible, it's an inexpensive, it's a, a, a low impact, and you know, we don't use machines. It's all pitchfork, shovel, and, and worms. Um, and worms, yeah, and, and uh, elbow grease, that's really it. So, so do you have to get in there and turn and also, each of your beds? Sorry to interrupt you. Do you, do you have to get in there and like turn no, them all? And uh, We aerate it, but okay. it's not as if we're turning it. We're, we're making sure what we have them in is uh, cinder blocks and... Uh, Center box. It's kind of a, a another perfect little system where there's automatically aeration holes. Um, the size that we have them in is you know small enough where you wouldn't have to really worry about anaerobic conditions occurring. And so with worms, you don't have to turn it that much. With you know what we're feeding them is the best of what I pick up. You mm-hmm. know, so if it's wet enough, if it's easily enough for them to eat it, I don't have to turn it. I can just wait. Basically, you have to monitor your timing. You don't want to overfeed. You don't want to underfeed, and you don't want to get too dry or too wet. So it's more or less a monitoring situation and kind of working this system of what will be ready when and what can be fed where and and all that. The the food will heat up a little bit in the bed, um, but it works fine. The worms, they they know exactly what to do. Yeah. It works fine. That's awesome. I was going to ask about the worms, actually. So that's another difference between landfills and composting. Is landfills is anaerobic. There's no oxygen getting down there. But composting, you intentionally aerate the soil? That Does that help decompose it? Yeah, it's, it's one of the main components. The oxygen is part of the, the chemistry. H2O, O2, whatever the, the chemical breakdown of nitrogen is, I guess, N. <laughs> and the other one is carbon C. Yeah. Uh, but that, like, you know, there's so many different nitrogen ingredients. It's basically your fruits and your coffee grounds and your carbons come from the paper and the leaves and, and the browns. Oxygen is super integral in that part. Yeah. So the worms, they're kind of, you know, you've heard it in, in garden beds, they create aeration holes. So you don't really have to aerate a worm bed because they're kind of working on that as they go. Yeah, I was just planning a lesson for the kids at the Land Trust about decomposers, and I was just reading that worms are typically in the first six inches of topsoil but can go down, and so over the course of the year they're constantly bringing up that soil and and overturning it, but like four to eight pounds a year. The point is, it's a lot of soil. They can move. (laughs) Yeah, I've never heard stat of, of the weight of the soil that they move but that's really really interesting the red wrigglers they do they stay mostly the six to eight inches or so but the whole bed gets worked i mean we, there's a team of decomposers like you're saying there's the millipedes um you'll see these little white uh teeny tiny little bugs that kind of go at everything first and then you know 
there's there's lots of uh, microorganisms and uh, decomposers in there. It's a whole team thing. Where did you get the worms? I got them online. Website, a company out of uh, Pennsylvania, Uncle Jim's Worm Farm. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty well known, I think. <laughs> Believe it or not. I started with, I think I started with 70 pounds, which is about 70,000 worms. Wow. Um, and I probably have quadrupled that at least, I would assume. Yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, they're really good at reproducing, yeah. <laughs> they're like rabbits. <laughs> but worms. But worms. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, their cocoons host, I think, two to six. So, you know, average four eggs. Uh, per cocoon that they that they drop and you don't need a male or a female. They're both able to do whatever needs to be done. They're I guess hermaphrodites. They find each other and they mate and then they uh, they leave a cocoon. So the the, the possibility is in there. Wow, I've so never thought of a cocoon a worm cocoon. I was just gonna before. say that. Yeah, so it's like like an egg sack that they make? Yeah. It's, it's really beautiful. It's like this golden little uh, you know, tear raindrop uh, that you, it's kind of translucent. And I've seen them hatch on my hand and little teeny tiny worms come out. It's pretty neat. I feel like this is like a glimpse into a world that I've never considered. Yeah, I was thinking like, can you imagine being Uncle Jim? Like, what a life, just <laughs> raising worms. I know, and like all the cocoons he's ever seen in his life. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, it's actually, it's really cool. Like, it's a really cool, um, I mean, I don't know. Everybody likes when baby animals are born, right. you know? And, and I've never worms. thought about it, but I can see, like, how magical it could actually feel. Yeah. It's, it's really crazy. Uh, whenever I take my nieces there, they love it. There's something about a worm, I guess. It seems to me there's something about a worm that's kind of has this charm to it. Um, <laughs> yeah. They just, you know, they mind their own business, and they, they go to work, and, and they have a really good uh, a purpose, so. Yeah. Well, I think, like, when you're a kid, it's probably one of the first, you know, one of your first interactions is with, you know, digging around in the dirt, finding yeah. worms, and not necessarily feeling afraid right. of them. It's not like they're going to bite you or anything. <laughs> yeah, so, that's true. They're kind of the, yeah, you can explore them yeah. a bit, yeah, without fear. It's probably that's a little true. nostalgia. <laughs> With, you know, with with worm, worm, I don't know, worm. Yeah, do you feel like a little kid just playing in the dirt in your compost business? We do. Uh, yeah, a lot of it happens with our hands. You can't, you know, use the pitchfork or shovel with everything. And, yeah, sometimes we do have that exact thought that, like, wow, we're just messing around with some worms. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's my whole life. <laughs> So tell us a little bit about your business model, because you provide a service, right? So you can pick up, You I know you mentioned this already, but a service where you pick up people's organic matter, take it here, let the worms do their thing, and then return good compostable, or good compost, a good high quality compost to them, right? So so yeah. like, just discuss that a little bit. How'd you come up with that idea? I think I I think to, I didn't come up with it. I know I didn't come up with it. I saw someone do it. I think the company was called uh, the Compost Cab. Mm. I think it's in Virginia or something like that. We offer weekly or bi-weekly pickups, and essentially we collect all food waste except for bones, meat, and dairy. So like your old cheeses or old milk. Um, but we collect cardboard, you know, your, your soiled napkins, uh, paper, and all your food waste that's natural, including the seeds, casings, 
Eggshells. That's always a big question. Okay. Yeah. Eggshells. I just realized no one was kind of doing it around here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a little bit of a solitary person, so I wanted to start something kind of on my own to see if I could make it grow and, and kind of build something on my own. And so far, I've hired my fiance. And, uh, <laughs> Congratulations. And we're super... Super enjoying the, the process of growing. Yeah, it's you get 40 pounds back each year, uh, two 20-pound deliveries. So we give you 20 pounds in middle of April, kind of when everyone's starting the garden, 20 pounds in June when most of the plants could use a boost. And we sell compost year-round to, uh, to people, and we sell compost tea for people who like that, and uh, some T-shirts and stuff on our website. Oh, nice. But... We, we, we just love the, the service and people really, it's amazing the feedback we get from people, you know, we love your service. I've been waiting for this service to be available in our area for so long. It's amazing the people I meet are all positive. <laughs> it, it's a pretty amazing way to trick myself into only meeting nice people <laughs> this type of job. That's <laughs> and awesome. it's really worked. Yeah, we're, we're super happy about it. I mean, it really is like, the, especially with so many people who may not be here year round, they don't want to have the hassle of doing a compostable um, bin at their home for the summertime or something like that. Like, it, I, I'm just thinking of like people who live in condos or on small properties or things like that, or schools or businesses. Like, I, yeah. I mean, the list is endless. I know that you've tapped into all these resources, but it's just such a great yeah. benefit. There's a lot of retirees, uh, mm-hmm. definitely, who, who, you know, have downsized and yeah, are living in a, a piece of property that they aren't allowed a compost uh, pile of their own. And they're just, their kids, if they had a farm, if they were, if this were the, uh, you know, perfect world, they'd have a farm and their kids would be doing it for them. But yeah. it's not how it works anymore. So a lot of people are just happy that, that we're able to provide this service. And yeah, we, we want to reach more people. Even people who are skeptical, uh, they find it very rewarding. And once it becomes a habit, it's it's hard to break that. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, even like I see, you know, you mentioned my kids earlier. Like if they'll, you know, they'll come running in and it's like they'll go to open the trash to throw in their banana peel and then just stop and be like, no, wait, this is, you know, like they have picked up yeah. on it. Like they, they know I mean, it's hard for me to throw an apple core in the trash, you know? So, I think it... I'm not surprised. They're they're smart. They're smarter than we are sometimes. Yeah, definitely. They can see... Yeah, they just see it a bit more simply. Do you know off the top of your head how much waste you have diverted from the landfill to date? That's funny. I was just uh, about to to calculate all that for the first kind of trimester of of the year. I know our average is... 800 pounds a week. That's awesome. So, yeah, and, and and it could be more if we, we just got a couple more businesses signed up and, you know, a, a couple people are skeptical, but it's going to keep growing. 800 a week, uh, we were over, I think, probably 80,000 total uh, for, our, you know, since our inception, mm-hmm. um, which is 40 tons of waste. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. That's so great. When did you start? I started, I guess it was the, um, yeah, 2019, about, yeah, the summer of 2019. It was super soft launch. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we started with 
high tide juicery in Westerly kind of yeah. kind of let me you know prove my concept uh, more or less in my garage when I started. He, he gave me his food pulp, and we started from there. Um, but we didn't really come out with the service until February of two thousand twenty. February two thousand nineteen. So I'm a year behind. Okay. February two thousand nineteen, we came out with the service. Wow. That's great that you've diverted that many pounds of food waste in just two years. Yeah. Yeah, the projection is a lot higher. I had maybe 20, 20 members for a year or so, and, and now we're up to over 80. So it's it's really starting starting to, to make a difference. Yeah. And I mean, it's just about getting the word out. So you say that people might be skeptical. What do you think that they're, do you think it's just that, you know, they don't, it's one more thing to think about. Um, some people they think it's going to smell for mm-hmm. one. They don't think they're going to produce a lot, which is always their surprise. That, like, like you said, Eric, you're kind of you're like, oh my gosh, I'm buying less trash bags. Yeah. Because you don't realize that that there's a lot of waste that you're uh, wasting, and they think it's going to smell. They don't think they're going to produce a lot. They they don't think it's going to make a big difference, which is kind of the hardest one, you know, to switch people on. It's kind of like it, a lot of things in this world. One person's difference may not seem like a lot, but a thousand people's difference is, you know, undeniably a lot. So to get a thousand, you need one plus one plus whatever. Mm-hmm. So... I mean, 40,000 pounds didn't just happen with one person, obviously, you know? Like, exactly. obviously, it means right. it needs you need lots of people thinking the same way, and that's great. Yeah. Most people can do 15 to 25 pounds of waste a week is what it seems like, and so that's 100 pounds a month, so it's over 1,000 pounds a year just kind of with one family. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or, well, I've seen that from... Two, two people, uh, just a couple. So it does make a big difference. You know, you just have to create the habit. And then, okay, that's only one year. So what if mm-hmm. you did that for your whole life? That's that's a huge difference. Yeah. And I think probably just getting people around the mindset, kind of like what we talked about earlier, that people probably think, well, it's going to de- decompose whether it's in the landfill or in the compost bin. But then realizing the what it, that it's not technically... It's rotting. It's, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's the education a little bit and the aware. I mean, I I definitely didn't learn that in high school. Yeah. You know, I don't remember anyone telling me food breaks down better here versus here. No one ever told me that. So I'm not so surprised, you know, that people don't know. Mm-hmm. And if you don't kind of say it super clearly, then they're not going to get it. And it's it's a the interesting thing is people have you know met me at a farmers market and then over a year later have signed up okay because for some reason it took them a year to wrap their head around oh this is something i should be doing yeah (laughs) i get it i mean i think you know recycling probably took a while to catch on and now it's like of course yeah yeah it's very similar it's a habit and it's a oh am i gonna make that big of a difference Mm -hmm. yeah that's a very common kind of thing and you said you were looking into building a second hoop house? Yeah. Definitely next spring we're going to start. And uh, 
that's just going to be great. Now I finally know for sure how I want it to look and, and what we want to do inside it. It's going to be more or less a, a, a duplicate of what we have, smaller, but mm-hmm. on the inside it's going to be a duplicate. And just happy to be able to, you know, uh, process more waste and, and uh, you know, maybe be able to accept some drop-offs and, and then, you know, obviously we'll be able to produce more product, which... Uh, which means go in more people's gardens and uh, yeah, it's just, we're just, yeah, just happy to expand. And that, and obviously like that's a whole cycle because like, you know, you put the compost in your garden, you have beautiful plants, you have more pollinators come to your yard. It's a whole, it's a whole thing, a whole cycle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the more food you produce the good compost, the more food waste there'll be to make more compost. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, right. You get to grow your own food. I mean, you know, we should all be growing food, but it's so hard. If it were a perfect situation, you know, one neighbor would grow the potatoes and the neighbor next door would grow the tomatoes and the neighbor next door would grow the eggplant, you know, and then we'd all trade. Mm-hmm. That'd be best case. That's, that's and then you rotate each year so you get crop rotation. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Let's start it. <laughs> um, yeah. But we're, we're starting somewhere with... Uh, just lower, just intercepting that food from the landfill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, James, what are the other types of composting? There's traditional composting, which can happen, you know, on a fairly small scale, four by four by four feet. If you want to process bones and meats, you probably have to get to like a ten by ten by ten foot pile. But uh, there's vermicomposting, and then. I only know maybe of one other, and it's called like Bokashi. It's kind of like mm-hmm. a, uh, uh, how would you describe it? It's like a, a good bacteria that oh, okay. uh, you can actually more or less uh, have a, a bucket of food waste and kind of sprinkle Bokashi on it. And it's uh, apparently, maybe it's kind of a fermentation mixed with a good bacteria, and it probably eats up the food and kind of transforms itself. That's the only mm-hmm. other composting i know hmm. oh, i didn't i've never heard of that you can buy bokashi i don't know if it's like a grain or, or what it but it's used by bags of it it's expensive though so that's it's not super accessible it's a little mm. bit expensive to do it that way but well let's just say it's all about the the bacteria you know mixing the bacteria it's very similar to, to traditional compost and vermicomposting there's lots of good bacteria in there just balancing what's going on in the soil, coming to a neutral place. And by way of doing that, they're transferring or transforming food waste into soil or a decomposed organic matter, you know, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I've talked about it on the show before. Yeah. Soil health is just so important. Yeah. Do you, oh, speaking of, do you ever have to do soil tests for anything? We do. I just kind of did a general test. We're not going for organic super expensive t- for us to be to be organic it's like a it's a yearly premium and uh you know certain number of tests per year but we really do just trust the worms and go by results and kind of you know i i've used this the compost enough my customers have given me good enough feedback where we feel confident probably to go another year or two uh until i'm creating yards and yards of of castings, I don't know that I want to go for organic yet, but we do test it for general soil health, and uh, you know we get feedback that it's a it's a good fertilizer. Awesome. 
I've used it and I like it. (laughs) (laughs) What's your favorite thing that you've seen that occurs naturally at Vita Nova Compost? I do love when uh, the avocado pits or the avocado seeds sprout. Those (laughs) are fun. Might seem basic to someone who composts a lot because it does happen a lot. Uh, those seeds are just—they can be three feet into the pile, and there'll be a sprout that comes out the top. I mean, they're really relentless volunteers, and uh, mm-hmm. they're fun. You can transplant them and keep them for a while. I don't think they ever uh, grow the fruit because they're store-bought avocado, but. That's a that's a fun thing. I love to see just the natural nature, you know, the natural kind of aspect of what's happening. There's nothing really kind of better than pulling back the top of your worm bed and just seeing a bunch of happy worms wiggling around. You know, <laughs> what you're doing is right. You know, awesome. So that's in worm cool. cocoons, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's a cat. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Pepper wanted to say hi. What's your cat's name? Pepper. Pepper. That's my fiance's cat. My cat's name is Pepper, too. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> no way. Yeah. <laughs> that's so awesome. Wow, that's crazy. She's going to love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my Pepper is an all-black cat. He's 15. Nice. 15 years old? Yeah. Oh, cool. Hopefully Pepper gets to be 15. She's only two or three, I think. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Very cute. Do you ever bring Pepper to check out the worms? <laughs> that's probably not, not, that's probably frowned upon. <laughs> no, April's very afraid of Pepper getting out. We don't want her to get out. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. probably a good reason. Yeah. A good thing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I have a dog, he'll help out. There you nice. go. Or she. Every farm needs a dog. Yeah, you gotta have a dog. <laughs> and if you get a dog that likes to dig, then that's even better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, animals are fun. Well... I have no more questions, do you? I think I'm good, James. This has been great. Very informative. I feel That's like awesome. I know a lot more about worms. Yeah, I'm glad. Yeah, we're, yeah. we're going to bring up the conservation tip and the fun fact, but do you want to plug anything about your business, um, website, social media? You said you sell t-shirts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> check, out, uh, um, check out our merch. Just go to vidanovacompost.com. If you are interested in the composting service, right on the homepage, there should be a big link that says become a member, and you can read about kind of exactly how it works uh, right from there. Our Instagram is Nova Compost, and uh, that's all. Awesome. For the next 60 seconds, enjoy this nature mindfulness activity of the peacefulness at the Flora Whiteley Preserve. We end every episode with a Westerly Land Trust fun fact. 
And this time, I want to talk about the Dr. John Champlin Glacier Park, which is my favorite preserve, so of course I'm going to talk about it. <laughs> but it's called the Glacier Park there because it has a lot of rich glacial history and education signs and stuff, because there's a lot of glacial till there, which is like what's left over from the glaciers. And... And that's just also very rich in nutrients because it's all this soil that's dug up and everything mixes together. So I wanted to throw that out there. A lot of New England is formed by glacial topography. So even though the glaciers were so long ago, the soil is still really rich? I can't answer if it's still oh, really okay. rich. I don't know. But <laughs> glacial till itself yeah. is really rich. Oh, all right. The, the minerals are frozen yeah. in there or something, right? Okay. The minerals are still there. Yeah. That's awesome. Very cool. So, I thought that related to compost. Yeah, definitely. Soil health. Soil health. I've walked in that in that uh, preserve. It's a beautiful preserve. Yeah, I didn't know it was glacial till. Yeah. It's so cool. It is. It is pretty nice. And you can see the ocean from it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And then, conservation tip. I wanted to bring up the point about when companies label their product as compostable, like compostable plastics... But they don't mean backyard compostable. They mean like anaerobic digester, industrial compost. Yeah. So is, are those products able to be composted at a scale like Rita Nova compost? No. Here's the thing with that is those products are compostable. They will break down under heat. If your compost pile reaches the, the heat, probably over 120, maybe in that case, over 130 or so. So I don't know exactly, but that will break down. But the problem with it is your finished product won't pass organic requirements Mm. or, or maybe even lower. I don't know exactly the thresholds of everything, but it shows up in the soil, soil tests as the stuff you don't want to see in the soil test. And maybe it's so minute that these companies are allowed to say it's compostable and they're allowed to brand them that way. But depending on how the farm or the compost company or whoever's selling the soil wants to present their product, they either can or cannot use that as an input. Vita Nova, we don't compost them. Our customers will divert them from the landfill which I appreciate because it's kind of, it's the habit, it's the, um, you know, the intent there. We pull them out and we, we kind of compost them separately. I kind of, I'm more or less experiment on them. I kind of mm-hmm. like, I, I won't ever use the soil that I decompose them in, but I do kind of try to take my landfill and, and compost them separately, but they don't go in with the worms just mm-hmm. because, you know, unless it's, globally accepted that all of the leftover from those products that everyone's okay with that being in the soil which i don't know whether it is or not actually going to affect the growing Mm -hmm. but it's still in the test results right so it won't pass the organic so that's kind of the situation with that as far as i know yeah do you know anything about the tea bags like when tea bags say they're biodegradable not compostable biodegradable but they still feel look like plastic those, I believe, are. They, they might just be woven in a way that, that does make them feel kind of slick. But I, those I, those we compost kind of without a problem. But yes. there, is a, there are a couple of companies that have these clear plastic, like kind of wrapper they peel off and then back comes out. And they label that as compostable. I think that's kind of the exact same as the, the cups and the, the things that we were talking about. 
Who knew? <laughs> this is great. Yeah, so our customers can put in tea bags. Perfect. Awesome, James. Well, thank you so much for spending some time with us to teach us all about compost. It's been a really interesting topic. My pleasure. Yeah, it really is. Thank you for uh, for letting me have the, the platform. Thanks a lot. Of course. Okay. Thanks again. Good luck on your <laughs> podcast, guys. It was really sweet. Thanks, thank James. you, James. Have a great day. You too. Okay, right, bye. Bye. Thank you to James Crusoe for being on our show. And thank you for tuning in to Voices of the Land. If you would like to keep up with the Westerly Land Trust between episodes, follow us on Facebook and Instagram, or go to our website at westerlylandtrust.org. From there, you can find more information on our conservation mission and community engagement. You can also donate through our website to support our work, such as this podcast, by becoming a Land Trust donor, giving you special access to events and activities throughout the year. We also have our Trails app to help you explore our preserves and hiking trails. Just search Westerly Land Trust in your app store. And of course, subscribe to and rate Voices of the Land to make it easier for others to find it. And tell a friend about it, too. Thank you, and tune in again next month. Thank you for listening to Voices of the Land. Your continued support helps us preserve and podcast the places you cherish. Feel free to rate and subscribe to this podcast to help others find it. And together, we can help everyone feel more connected to our natural world.